Hello and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm here with Matt Halpern. Matt is the drummer of the band Periphery, who I hope you've heard of. They're making some of the most interesting, interesting music today, and we really got to get into how they do that. They have a great new record coming out this coming week, as well as a really cool package that we talk about that's really good for the producers out there, as well as they started a new company that's doing some drum triggers and other cool stuff. I got into all that with him, and I think it's a pretty rad conversation. I highly encourage you guys check them out. I also want to tell you about a new thing Noise Careers did. Years ago, I wrote a book called Get More Fans, The DIY Guide to the New Music Business. It went on to really huge success. It's been taught at a whole ton of universities, but the one complaint was always that it was too long at 730 pages. So what I did is I made a real small version of it that now you can read in under 30 minutes and get to know the basics of how to promote yourself with some nice little tricks in there and tips that you don't really hear from anyone else. And it's all free over at Noise Creators if you go under the More tab and click ebook or check it out on our blog. I highly recommend you check this out. So head on over to Noise Creators and see what it's all about and take a listen to this podcast. Check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So when you guys formed Periphery, was there like an initial hypothesis or thought about what you wanted to accomplish? Or was it just kind of like, these are the right people that I want to be playing with music? Was there anything initially in that? Well, you know, it's funny. So I, I came in a little bit after the initial band was was formed. Um, I'm actually the the second drummer to, to have the seat in the band. But uh, I want to say that we really sort of came together as a unit a few years after, you know, a couple, a couple years after that, once we had really solidified the official lineup, which would which would be myself, Mark Holcomb, Misha Mansour, Jake Bowen, Adam Getgood, and Spencer Satello. When the six of us got together, you know, that's when we really sort of all clicked. It's taken us a lot of time to to learn how to live, work, be creative with one another. Mm-hmm. But we're at a point now where we are extremely happy with the way that we function as a group and as a band. And I can say that Part of that happiness comes from a very clear understanding within the band that our our vision, our goal musically and creatively is to write the music that we want to hear that we don't hear elsewhere. Mm. It's 
it, we, 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 we write what we feel. We write what inspires us. We never really approach our music writing process from like a contrived standpoint. It's never like, hey, let's write a song in 13 or, hey, we should write a song that has this specific guitar sound. It's really organic and, and we make a big point to have it be that way because I think we all – really strive for authenticity more than anything and we don't want to be pigeonholed into like any one style or any one genre. If if we decide that we're inspired by pop and the next record we put out is a pop record, we want our fans to realize that we have that freedom and that we're never going to not have that freedom. You know, we we don't want to rest on what we put out before or what's coming in the future. We can only base it off of what we're inspired by right now. And what we want to put out, and hopefully, you know, people understand that. But as I said, to round that out, it's it's a really organic thing, and it's really based off of all of us writing the music that will please us to hear it because we don't find it anywhere else. Uh, see, this is this is the funny thing is it's like you just very eloquently put what I think that every great band is actually doing. Just a lot of them don't realize it as well as you have. But I also think that what I've heard of you guys seems like you're a much more thought out band than a lot of others. So when you talk about that, you guys are doing what you have authentically been inspired by. So what have you been authentically inspired by for this next record? You know, for this record, it's interesting. I think we were really just inspired by the chemistry within the band. Mm. You know, we, we've been through a lot over the past couple of years as a band, you know, personally as individuals, learning how to work with each other, as I, as I said, um, learning how to communicate, learning what we are passionate about and what are, you know, really, really honing our vision. We really found ourselves in a place where we, we reached that point of homeostasis, I think, within, with, you know, amongst the members and in the group. And because of that, that in and of itself was inspiring for us to really put our, our our heads together, get in a room, and write. And it all really started completely by accident. I mean, we had some downtime in between touring, and everybody in the band loves to write probably more than anything else in the world. So we just started writing a couple songs, and there was no real agenda and and no real specific goal of writing an album. But you know, we wrote one, we wrote two, we wrote three, and all of a sudden we were like, wow, like we're really inspired by this music. We're we're really feeling good about it. Let's ride this wave and let's see where it takes us. And, you know, I think that's what's really important for bands to understand is that you really can't force the process and you really can't necessarily pull inspiration from like other bands necessarily or other music. Of course, that happens. And of course, the sounds we create are inspired by our collective influences in some ways. But I think what's more important is figuring out what else inspires you in life and as a group and and taking advantage of those fleeting moments and and really maximizing on them you know mo- those moments of inspiration and maximizing on them um because you never know when they're going to be gone and we just got lucky to sort of fall into one of those uh one of those longer moments of inspiration and the uh the outcome is this new record so you know I, again I, I really just think it was uh there was a lot of stuff going on with the band you know you know, we, 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 we changed management and we had a lot of, a lot of different personal things going on where we all really came together and supported one another. And I think that understanding, that communication, the, the challenges that we were overcoming really made us feel good about pouring all of those feelings and, and all of, uh, all of that experience into the thing that we do to express ourselves, which is write songs. I like that. So when you talk about 
the chemistry becoming more of a thing and getting inspired by playing with each other. Can you tell me about some of the development of that? Yeah, I mean, I think over the years now, you know, after putting out a bunch of records, our, our process has changed a bit. You know, when we first started, uh, when I first joined the band, most of the music that we released was written pretty much by Misha alone and, and some contribution by the other members of the band as well. Um, on the next record that we put out, we, you know, there were more of us contributing to the process. And then by the next record, it was a completely, a completely collective writing process where each one of us was contributing as a whole and it wasn't just falling on one band member. But the way that we were able to get to the point of harmony with that was by sort of communicating about the things that were hard within that process because when you have six people in the band that write and everybody's contributing, not everyone is going to like every idea mm -hmm. and one person's idea is going to get picked over someone else's and when you're talking about creative um, – you know, weighing in on creative ideas like that and, and, and someone idea, someone's idea doesn't get picked, that can be kind of hurtful. Like you can take that personally. And I just think it took us all a long time to understand that it's not a personal attack. It's not a personal battle. It's not a personal process if we choose someone's song over someone else's or someone's riff over someone else's. It's just simply what the collective group feels is better at this point in time. And I have to say that now that we've sort of worked through that stuff, even on this new record, there were riffs that we pulled from from previous records that mm. you know, some of the guys didn't get to use on those previous records, but now we're using on this new record. And you know, there's going to be things like that on our next record where we pull from ideas that didn't get used necessarily on this current one that are getting used on on future material. So I think for you know for bands that are listening to this or or people that that want to write music with other other people that are listening to this you know it's it's really really it can be really touchy when you're dealing with creative output because a lot of times you know a riff or a song or a lyric comes from a, a really vulnerable place or or a place of passion and if you if you just very sort of nonchalantly shrug that idea off <clears throat> that can be really you know, it can be really hurtful and people can take it personally. So I think the big, the big goal that we have as a band is to really constructively communicate about the ideas that we choose to use and the ideas that we don't use. Um, you know, we never just say something sucks. We always make a point to explain, hey, listen, this part isn't right for the next three or four reasons. We try to be, you know, give constructive criticism that's productive rather than just simply shrugging something off so that the person who does write the riff that doesn't get picked doesn't feel like they're just being pushed aside. There's a real reason for it. We, we've tried to work it out. It doesn't make sense for the song and therefore it's going to get put into a group of other songs that we can use later. But I think there just has to be good communication and there needs to be understanding from both sides that it is a sensitive subject and you can't just, you know, you can't just, you know, shrug people off without paying attention to their feelings, especially when you're in a band setting where you're living together, working together, eating together, traveling together. You know, you got to really be careful and respectful of the relationships on all levels, you know? I, I, I do. I do. I think that that's a great point. I think what it's one of the hardest things that young musicians have to learn is that 
no to a riff also isn't no forever. Like you're talking about that, there's older riffs being incorporated. And I think that that's one of the funniest things I always see with bands who are on their third and fourth record is that like that I've done with them. It's like sometimes it's like, wow, like, you know, we're using the thrown away song from song one because it just wasn't right yet. And we realized we needed to change that one thing from major to minor. And that made that idea perfect now. And, yeah, you know, it's just it's funny because the ego gets hurt in the moment and it doesn't see the long game, which is that it's just like, well, this isn't right yet. Let's keep working at it. And this will be useful one day and you'll have your day that day. Exactly. And that's what we've had to work towards together is having that understanding. And now we have a a precedent that's set to where, you know, we're proving to each other that we're not just throwing the stuff away. We are going back and we are reusing it. Like on this new record, you know, we have some ideas that, that are like, all the way back from the first record, you're talking years that we're using on this record, things that just didn't make it onto P1 that are now making it onto P3. So, uh, you know, I don't think that's out of the question at all. I think, like I said, you get these moments of inspiration. And in those moments, sometimes you write just a riff, but you don't necessarily have the wherewithal to, to line it up perfectly with the rest of a song. And then sometimes you write a whole song and it's awesome and, and the chemistry is just there. Don't throw that riff that only made it, you know, for that short moment away. You can mess with it, as you said, change the, you know, change it from major to minor or find a new direction or a transition that makes it work better. It just doesn't need to be forced. I I don't think you can force this kind of thing because it is such a creative, personal thing. You know, it's like anything like writers get writer's block. Mm -hmm. When I practice my drums, there's certain things that I get right away. And then there's certain things that take me a, a month to get down and like, if you're hard on yourself about that, you're only going to make it worse for yourself to learn it. And in fact, I, I really think that the more natural you can allow yourself to create and learn, like the more natural you can make that process, the more organic you can make that process, I think the more um, the more beneficial it will be to everybody involved because it's not forced. I like that. Now, so when you're talking about the hard on yourself, the divergence of the music, I know you've done a lot of lessons and done stuff like that. Sure. Is the hard on yourself, when is it healthy versus when is it what makes you good? Like, I think there's a lot of stuff that musicians get confused about of like, I like my self-doubt. I like my self-consciousness because it makes me keep trying harder. Like, you know, like there's the classic producer who hates every mix he makes so he labors over it forever or the musician who does that with their songs because they're hating themselves versus you're talking about how this has become a more positive thing can you explain that a little bit more sure i mean look you you can't beat yourself up over things you know like it's it's not productive to to just like only focus on the weaknesses that you're that you're putting out there what what is productive is to acknowledge the weakness and then figure out how you can learn from that experience so that you're better next time. I don't think you can dwell on one thing and try to make it perfect because you know what? Chances are it'll never be perfect. True in, in my in my eyes, true artists are always going to be hard on themselves about the material or 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 the the art that they're creating because it comes from a personal place a lot of us, including myself, are insecure about our art. So we're never going to just feel 100% perfect about it. But there is a point that you have to reach with yourself and, and with your art where you feel like you've given it your all and you've put in the time and that it is as good as it can be for right now at this point in time. And you know what? It's funny. Like I'll quote Mark Cuban on this you know, who, <laughs> nice. says, who says, you know, perfection – is the enemy of profitability. Now, he's hmm. obviously relating to business, but it's true. If you spend all your time trying to perfect yourself, 
but not enough time actually just putting it out there and getting the feedback and seeing how it resonates with other people, then then you're literally going to be stuck in the in the studio or in the practice room or in you know in the woodshed forever and never actually progress. And I would apply that idea to music by saying how I always progress the best and how I always learn the best is by taking something that I've been working on in the in the practice room and forcing myself to commit to it in a live setting. Mm. If you don't try it live in front of an audience, then you know how, how can you know if you can pull it off? How can you know if it's actually going to work or not? Like you need to try these things. And it's the same thing with music. You know, look, let's tie it to what I said about this new record. Mm. We're writing music that we want to hear for ourselves. It's not perfect for everybody. It's probably not even perfect for, for us. You know, like we go back and we're listening to the mix and we hear 10 things that we wish we could have done differently that we can't do now. But you know what? We'll do those things on the next record. And because here's the key, because this is our passion, because it's what we love to do, there should be no rush. Okay. You, 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 you create, you put it out there, you learn from it and you create again because if this is what you love to do and you're doing this with your life, there should be no rush. There's no reason to race to the finish line if this is what you want to do with the rest of your life. Take some time to analyze and learn and then revisit stuff, of course, but always be progressing, always be putting out new material, always be open to feedback. And I think you can learn from that and and improve as you go. You know, does that make sense? It, it totally does. So I, I, I want to get into this rush thing. So I was talking to Riley from Thrice on this podcast a while ago, and they talked about how they really regretted the pressure that their major label debut had, that they basically were like, write a record in a month and get in the fucking the studio and get us content. Sure. How do you push back on that pressure that it seems every band now has the thing of like, you know, a booking agent and a management and a label are like, okay, get us something that we can profit on. Sales are slowing. Da da da. da. You got to be on tour promoting that thing to make us money. How are you, as a band that obviously has an infrastructure, making that work? You know, that's a great question, and and I think the answer to that is we've always believed and we've always made a, a point to have our team believe that without the music, nothing else matters because that's what we do. We're a band. We sure. write music and we put it out there for people. So arguably, our music is the most important thing that we have. It's the most important thing that we can create. It is the most important content that the whole team can get their hands on. So with that being said, if you want that content to be good, don't rush us. If you want that content to be marketable, don't rush us. Give us the time we need to get this you know, and, and it's a reasonable time. I mean, I don't want to say like we set the rules and everybody has to abide by what we say. You know, look, we set a deadline and we do our best to reach that deadline. But if we find a couple weeks out or a month out from that deadline that we need more time, everyone on our team has been flexible enough to give us more time because they understand that to us, the music is the most important thing. And without it, we're not going to be able to move ahead. And so, for example, I mean, a real example of this is this record. Mm. When we first started working on it, we had a pretty aggressive schedule. We ended up realizing that it was too aggressive and that we needed another four weeks tagged on to our recording process. So, you know, as big of a of a challenge as that might be for a lot of bands in, in a situation where you have people bringing breathing down their neck, you know, we put our foot down and we, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Like we went to our manager and we said, hey, Wayne, listen, you know, 
we really are trying our best to reach this deadline, but we're not going to reach it. Our music's the most important thing. So as long as you're down, we really appreciate if you can help us by communicating with the rest of our team that we need some more time. And you know what? Our manager, Wayne, really understood that. And it was a pretty much non-issue. He went to the labels. He went to everybody and said, look, my guys need some more time. You want this to be a badass record? Give them time. We were able to show them some of the demos at that point. They they understood that it was coming along well. And, you know, I think it worked out. And I think that, again, with everything, it's all about communication. You know, don't wait. If we had waited till, like, the deadline and said, oh, man, whoops, shit, we're fucked. We, we can't do this. We need another month right now. That probably wouldn't be very professional of us. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have probably worked out the same way. But because, you know, we, we were <clears throat> able to sort of look at things from a month out and say, you know what, we're definitely going to need some more time. That gives everybody some time to prepare and push everything back. So there's some courteous uh, courteousness involved <laughs> in that with the team that I think bands need to be aware of. But I don't think you should ever sell that process short. I think you need to, to budget as much time as you can to – write something, you know, and I know a lot of bands are, are, are strained. Like I was talking to, um, my buddy Ben who plays drums in Whitechapel and he was telling Mm -hmm. me on their last record, you know, they had like two weeks or three weeks to do it all. And it was really stressful. And I get it. Like if you have an aggressive touring schedule, you know, you need to fit things in. But even then, like we've been on, on record cycles like that, where we've been touring a lot and we only have a month or two. But in that case, we prepare, we take our writing rigs out on the road with us. We take, you know, we, we, we take steps to write and record any moment we can if we are on a tight schedule to give ourselves as much time as possible. If we really need to push back, we make it a point for our team to understand through communication that, look, the most important thing to periphery is our music. So you need to be able to support us in that process. And I, I just – I really think bands just need to communicate that up front when they start working with people and not after the fact when people have these expectations that are unrealistic. I, I, I like that a lot. So now I'm going to backtrack to a question I wanted to ask three questions ago. But So we talked a little about people coming in. There's a lot of um, talk now about like kind of the uh, thing. Like I think it's funny like when you look at a lot of bands on Instagram and like obviously you guys got a bunch of producers. You're really active and doing stuff and the rest of the band you just basically see everybody laboring in front of a computer but you're talking about playing together what is the balance of song development how much is happening computer alone versus computer in the studio versus playing in a room you know it's funny we've never been a band that writes together in a room with instruments in the traditional sense you know the way that it typically works the writing process is someone in the band will have a riff or an idea they'll record it with uh you know a, a like a foundation of program drums, a foundation of all like the layers that need to be there, the bass parts, the, the, you know, the melodies, whatever. And they'll, they'll send it out to the whole band. And then if everybody in the band, you know, likes it and gives a thumbs up, it goes into sort of this pot that we're going to then consider it for our album. So when it then comes time to write an album, we take all those songs, we basically do a retreat where we then, and for this last record, we went to Misha's place. We, we locked ourselves in, in his place and we went through all of those songs together. You know, the guys had their guitars. I was tapping things out on my leg. Misha was programming the drum parts and we were able to arrange and organize the songs in that way first. And, you know, it's funny. I just did a, I just filmed a video about this that, that'll be coming out soon for drummers to understand the importance of drum programming because a mm. lot of drummers are apprehensive to get behind this idea of programming their drums, especially for demoing. Mm. But I think it's, it's such a blessing to have that ability because 
with drum programming and, the, and in the writing process, we can program parts, have a good amount of time to listen to them and let them sink in. And if we find that there's something we don't like, I can change it in an instant and try ideas instead of writing something, committing to it, recording it, and then realizing after you did the recording in the studio that you don't like it, you know, th this way you, you have a, a chance to, to sort of be flexible as you go. So I'm not going to go too in depth there, mm -hmm. but to, 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 to really go back to like the specific question, you know, for us, we write it in the room with the computer, with the instruments. Once we then sign off on the arrangement, and that does include the initial program drum parts, then at that point, I go back to my drum set and I work through the parts that we program based on what we wanted to do. And in that process, through you know, when, when I'm actually figuring out the physical movements and the human aspect of the drum parts, that's another part of, or, or period in time when I realize what works and what doesn't. And when I figure out something that works great, that's not programmed, we go back and we reprogram it and get it right so everybody in the band knows what it should sound like. If we find something or if I find that the song is awesome as is, then great, we sign off on it. And then once that's done and we have an official arrangement and the song is done, then I'll go into the studio and I'll track the final parts for the drums. Everything will be, you know, will be, there, there's nothing that's not expected. Everyone's expectations are, 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 you know, are accurate to what the song will be like. And again, really quick, the way that it worked out for this last record was we demoed everything. <clears throat> we arranged everything. The guys then cut all of their final guitar parts, all of the final, you know, um, like ambient parts, the bass parts, and then after that, and that was all done using using the Get Good Drums program drums initially. Nice. And then after that, I then went and recorded the drums at the end of the process before mixing while Spencer, our singer, was also recording the vocals at the same time. So a lot of bands do drums first and then record mm -hmm. them later. We, on this record, did it backwards, and I actually loved that process because, again, it gave me a chance up front to, to program parts that could work for the songs, to then have a lot of time to let them sink in, to have a, you know, I had a good six weeks to get on my drums and rehearse them before I ever got in the studio, mm. which made for the recording process in the studio, it, it made it so much more fluid and, 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 and easy to do because I knew the parts so well. So anyway, I think going forward, that's going to be our process um, because it really gave me as the drummer enough time to get completely comfortable and really work out the exact things that I wanted on the record. And, you know, normally for a lot of bands, maybe that's not a big deal, but for us, you know, the drums are a very, very important part of our music. So it, it needs to be right. And having as much time to learn those ridiculously hard parts is definitely, uh, good for me as much time as I can get the better. So hopefully that answers your question. No, I think this is an interesting thing. Cause like, you know, there's this, this funny thing of like, when people are a lot of people come to the studio the first time they they think that it's lay down the drums and the bass then the guitars but that was a tradition brought out of R&B and what you guys are kind of doing is now doing this thing of like that is adapting to actually how songs are written which is usually songs are written on the guitar first and the drums are adapting to the what those guitars do and so this process makes a ton of sense and I think that you were seeing a lot of people adapting to it but I think it's very interesting that you're also talking about this drum programming thing which I don't think I think a lot of people are doing let's play the guitars with the click which can be kind of soulless yeah yeah, I mean, look, it's so easy to program nowadays, you know, and I think even if you just lay down a foundation or like a skeleton of a beat, that's so much better 
at least for the drummer in the band, like, okay, so if a, if a guitar player has a riff and they play it and they program a very, very basic drum part, they can then translate much better to their drummer what the feel should be like. It doesn't need to be this like flushed out, crazy, you know, technical programming job. It can just be a basic kick snare hi-hat to just show the feel so that when the drummer hears it, they understand what the guitar player was going for when they wrote the riff. And I think that's really important. When someone in the band writes a riff, okay, whether whether it's my singer who writes a vocal line over a guitar part or Misha or Jake or Mark, whoever writes a riff, you know, that's their riff. They feel it a certain way and I want to respect that as the drummer. So the more information they can give me about that riff right from the jump, the better of an idea I have for formulating what parts are going to work for the song and that is the key. That's what a lot of people don't. Uh, well, I don't know. I can't. I don't want to generalize, but I feel like I run into people all the time that ask me questions like, "Oh, like, did you did you write this beat because it's in seven eight and you wanted mm. it to be this way or that way?" And it's like, "No, dude. I wrote the drum parts because that's what fits for the song, mm -hmm. and that's the key. If the guitar part is written a certain way, that tells me what the drum should be like. If the vocals are written a certain way, that tells me what the drum should be like. And I don't think a lot of people, at least a lot of the drummers that I work with." When I give them lessons and when we talk about the songwriting process, a lot for a lot of them, it's a new idea to spend time listening to the melodies, listening to the guitar parts, listening to the vocals before they ever even begin to write a drum part. And it's so important because mm -hmm. really the melody, the lyrics, the song, that's what it's about. The drums are just there to support that stuff. So I think it's really important to, to, to leave some time and some space to understand the melodies so that you can write parts that that really make it cohesive, you know. I, I I'm I'm right there with you. What I argue in my new book is that people spend too much time taking a concept they think will be cool. Like you discover that you can play seven eight against three four riff, and you go, I want to force that concept into a song instead of having an emotional reaction and thinking of what's going to make this part most potent. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look, if the best part for a song is like kick and snare on the on you know kick on the one and three and the snare on the two and four with an eighth note beat on the hi-hat, mm -hmm. fine. If it makes the song better, I will happily do it because it'll feel better mm -hmm. overall instead of being like, oh, no, that's too simple. We're periphery. It needs to be more complicated. Like I don't think that's the right way to go about it. I think you need to let the song dictate what the parts are, not the other way around. You hinted at something that I think is really cool to discuss, which is that you did the awesome thing of making this really amazing sounding drum set that I just tried out. So could you tell us a little about why that you felt the need in a world that's so crowded with drum samples to do something else and to make this yourself? Sure. So me and Nolly and Misha from the band uh, um, and as well as uh, our buddy Dez from the band Good Tiger started a company called Get Good Drums. It's uh, it's it's drum software, drum samples. And the reason that we started this was because initially, you know, me and Nolly had been working on the periphery drum sound for a good couple years. You know, I've been working on it from a performance standpoint, trying to trying to articulate to him what sound I was looking for, for the music and, and what sounds I wanted for the songs that we were writing. And Nolly has, you know, as a producer, has been obsessed with learning how to record drums, tune drums, get them to sound as realistic as possible. Because coming from a world where there are so many drum samples and it's so easy to just, you know, 
lay on any sample and have it sound pretty good without much work. I mean, it leaves a lot to be desired sometimes, I think. And for us, we really wanted to hone our sound. So when we finally figured out the formula for us, you know, we felt like the sounds that we had that we had been able to, to capture were things that other people could benefit from as well. And, and we felt like, you know, those sounds weren't out there in other capacities. And I think there's room for everybody. So I think looking at our skills as individuals, you know, we have the skills in our wheelhouse to be able to go in and record samples well. So we said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. You know, we're passionate about this. We, we, we figured out how we're, you know, how this works and how we record music. Let's try it. So um, me and Nolly slated some time in the studio, uh, a studio in Baltimore, Maryland. We mapped out what we wanted to record and, and you know, which drums, what tunings, all that stuff. And we went in and, and we recorded this first library, which now people can, can go by, which is Halpern Library from... Are from Periphery's record, Juggernaut. It's the same drum set and pretty much the same tunings and same uh, same sort of approach that we used on that record. But we went in and and we tried it and and we absolutely fell in love with the experience. We 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 just we loved it. It was so for me as a drummer. I know this might for for a lot of drummers this might be boring, but like I love the challenge of figuring out how to hit the drum right in the right spot with the right drumstick with the right velocity level and, and and dynamic feel to get the sound that we need. It's such a fun challenge, and I get to hit the drums while doing it. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just it, like I said, the skills are in our wheelhouse as 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 you know the members of the of the of the company. It's something that we're super passionate about. We're always in the studio as is, and we felt like we had something to offer people that wasn't out there before. And, and now we're really, really um, committed to it and passionate about it. And we can't stop thinking about, you know, what kinds of cool ideas we can come up with next for sounds that people could benefit from. And you know what's so cool about this? And, and I have to tie it back to what, what I was talking about with the band. None of this is based off of, oh, I think there needs to be this concept or that concept. Mm -hmm. It's shit. You know, we're writing this music. And we want to find the right drum sounds for the music we write, just like we talked about tailoring parts to the song and the needs of the song rather than vice versa. And that's exactly what we're doing with these drums as we as we record these drum samples. We're not basing it off of, hey, here's this concept. Let's go try to make drum sound this way. It's, you know, we're writing, you know, as individuals, we're writing all this different music, either for periphery or for side projects. And we have requirements in terms of sound. And it's the songs that we're writing and the demos that we're writing that have now sort of dictated what kinds of libraries we're going to be looking to record for drum samples. Because if we need those sounds in our music, we believe that other people will need those sounds in their music as well. And because we have the means to, to create that for people, we're going to do it because we want people to have access to the sounds that we consider the best for those styles. So that's that's where this comes from. That's why we're doing it. And, and we're very much tethered to this idea of authenticity and not trying to do anything just because you know we should, but more so because we feel like it's it's necessary for what we want to do and we think that other people can benefit from it. So sorry to rant no, about... No, 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 that's what I want you to do. <laughs> so we were talking before this tape that I liked about it that it was filling a void and sound that I'm not hearing in a few other things. Was there something you were looking for it to do that you weren't hearing in other things, just as you talked about, you know, that your music is what you're not hearing elsewhere? Is there something you were hearing that you really wanted to accomplish with this? Or is it just yeah, what you I, want to hear? I think, you know, there's a couple a couple standards that we had with it. You know, 
we we are extremely serious about the tunings, making sure that the tunings are are, are absolutely as perfect as they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes for a little bit more of a arduous, meticulous process, and you know, it, you know, as we record this stuff. But you know, that's something that that we really want to be a differentiator for us from other things that are out there. And it's, again, it's, it's not something that like is contrived. It's something that we just genuinely have been working on for two years. Like me and Nolly have been working on tuning our, my drums and figuring out the best ratios between top head and bottom head head for years. It's, it's not just like, Oh yeah, you twist the knobs and, and you know, it sounds good. There's like a real science behind it. So we want to make sure that we, <clears throat> we apply that to offering drum samples to people. They should be, <clears throat> they should be perfectly in tune. And then from the other aspect of it, you know, we wanted to create a human feel to it, you know, and for me, the way that I record drums and play drums, you know, I use a lot of different dynamic levels. I use a lot of different ghost notes. So I think it was a big goal for us to utilize that full range of dynamics from very, very soft ghost notes using barely any velocity and barely any any motion to the top end of what I'm personally capable of, of getting out of a drum when I hit it as hard as I can without making it sound like shit. So and, – and you know what's cool is like – you know, we've done a, a quite a few sessions now for for GGD, and you know, our first session we really went balls out with hitting as hard as I could, and 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 like getting the 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 sort of the maximum sounds for loud and for soft. You know, really maximizing those those two poles of uh, of everything. But then, you know, through the process of, of of doing some more recordings and 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 practicing getting better samples, you know, we've really been able to hone that process and figure out exactly what is needed and what's not, and certain velocity levels that won't even translate versus ones that do. But for us, it's just, I think it's just about getting the best possible sounds that we can that we are happy with, and we're not just looking to do a cash grab and put out you know, sounds that are just, you know, like I said, they're just, they're there because maybe people want them. We're pushing ourselves to try to go into the studio and create the best possible drum sounds that you can get out of a drum set in a room with specific microphones and a specific person hitting those drums. I think that is what we're passionate about with this project. And that's our goal. Like, I guess I can't, you know, I mentioned a couple of things as far as tuning goes and, and different velocity and dynamic levels. But you know, without going too far in depth with any specific one feature, I think the big thing really is just for us, we're striving to to push ourselves to continuously improve and get the best drum tones we can so that we can apply it not only for GGD, but also apply it to our records and the music that we record. You know, it's 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 all connected for us. Does that make sense? It does. That's a, that's a, a really rad outlook. So I also saw that you guys were doing something really cool, and it was like a funny thing because like I had written an article, I think for uh, a music electronic musician like seven years ago, like why don't bands put out stems, especially bands whose audience are musician nerds. I saw you guys seem to do this really exhaustively for the new record. Could you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. So um, as part of our pre-orders, which are still available for people, well, actually, if it comes out next week, I don't think they will be. But you know. That being said, we may be cooking something up that will be available after the fact. But yeah, I mean, we've always wanted to um, to put out what we are are calling a producer pack. 
from our records, which basically allows our, our audience, our fans who, who are so inclined to have access to the stems and be able to go in and recreate mixes of our songs and play around with it. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits to it. Like for a producer, they could go in and they could practice mixing our music um, with the actual stems that, that we provide. Um, for a bass player that really w- loves our music and wants to jam on it, they can get access to this. They can mute the bass part, you know, the bass stem that we give them, and they can become the bass player and re-record it with our music. Um, same thing goes for drummers. Same thing goes for people that want to do playthroughs or whatever. It's just you know, it, it's another way to connect with our audience. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's important. You have to know your audience. You know, for some bands, that probably wouldn't work very well. You know, like, I don't I don't know if it would be beneficial to, like, Justin Bieber's fans if he put out a producer pack of his music. But, <laughs> our, we, you know, we, we know our fans really well. We love our fans and, and we love that we have so many different connecting points with them. And, and the biggest connection that we have with most of our fans is that a lot of them, the overwhelming majority of them are musicians and they're not just like passive musicians. They're serious musicians. They really care about learning about whether it's drumming or, or getting better at guitar or getting better at singing or getting better at mixing and production. So we want to be able to cater to our fans. And I think education has always been a big part of what I do and what the band Mm -hmm. does. And I think this is another way to sort of connect with our fans that way to give them an opportunity to, to work with our music um, to, to educate themselves, to learn how to, how to, you know, become better singers, producers, whatever, um, and do so through, through the music that we create. So look, it, again, it all stems from what we would like to do. We're all producers in our own way. Um, you know, with the exception of, of me really, cause I'm, I'm more so like on the business side of things than I am mm-hmm. on like technical side of things, but everybody else in my band spends tons of time mixing their own music and trying to improve. And you should, you should be in our bus rides. Like, you know, we sit there and we talk about, so what's this new mixing ke- technique and how did you mic this and blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's the nerdiest shit ever, but it's what <laughs> we talk about yeah. and it's what fans talk about. And it's, again, it's authentic. Like, this is what we do. This is what we like. We want our fans to be as involved with what we're doing as possible. And we felt like this was a way to, to just continue that sentiment with him. I, I think that's really right. And I think about it this way is that the way I found out about your band is me working with other bands and them going, oh, you should hear this record. Have you heard this band periphery? Like I worked with the band you guys toured with, like that like you scientist and they're like, Sure. You, you got you got to hear this sound on this and stuff. So that makes total sense. Is that when they're showing me that, I'd love to be able to be like, oh, you know what? They put out uh, stems, so we can just listen to what that sounds like raw. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it. I love that because for us, I mean, when we go into the studio, you know, Nolly will be like, okay, so you know. Are there any references that, that we want to think about when we're, you know, going in and, and, and trying to really craft the sound that's right for us? And there's always references, you know, mm-hmm. like, but especially when it comes to drums, you know, like, yeah, you got to. Yeah. Some of the things that I'll, you know, that I'll always go to is like, I love the Deftones drum tones. I love Gojira drum tones. I love, uh, you know, drum tones that you hear on a Fiona Apple record or a Mutinath record. So it's like, if we can provide a, a, a more granular level of detail for people that, that want to do exactly that with our music, then by all means we should and we, we're, we're, we are. We're more than happy to. So it's something that I think we're going to be doing a little bit more of mm-hmm. in the future. You know, This is the first time we've really released anything like this, but the response and the feedback has been really, really positive. So I, I think it's something that we want to make sure to continue offering to, to our fans that are interested in that kind of thing. I think that's rad because you guys are the exact type of band that should be uh, doing this. Um, 
So, and I think that the, you also do make another point. It's like, I think there's a lot of things, times musicians get scared of like, it's imitation when you're hearing a sound to do it. But I think like when you talk to another musician, you say warm, warm is just a thing that's in your head. But if you show somebody what warm sounds like to you, you can communicate with that better and you can find the sounds you want to do. Since odds are that your imitation of a drum sound is never going to be very exact compared to what you're getting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And like I said, I mean, we we always strive to make our sound as authentically us as we can. But that doesn't mean that there aren't obvious influences out there that we can sort of reference and even compare to once we do get the sound that we want. Because I think it just helps, the, it, 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 as you said, like it helps define what warm means or what more crack out of a snare drum means or a mm-hmm. round sound or a a bigger sound like those are all great ways to describe you know the sounds you're going for but if you can reference it with something that's already been produced and is out there i think it makes everybody's understanding a bit more clear and that's always a good thing very cool so i'm going to get into that influence thing what's an influence on your band that most people would be shocked by man you know there's probably so many (laughs) Uh, we you know i rather than pinpointing one or two i mean there's just there's so much stuff i mean Everybody in the band listens to all kinds of music. Misha has been obsessed with orchestral music mm. written for for cinema lately. So mm. he spends tons of time listening to cinematic pieces, stuff done by Hans Zimmer or Danny Elfman and a bunch of other you know composers like that that have been very successful in in the cinematic um, the cinematic world. You know, uh, we all listen to pop music. I mean, dude, I love. Like I, I've been listening to all sorts of pop stuff lately. Like I've been getting into the new Adam Lambert record, which isn't that new, but I've been listening to that. Lately, I've been listening to like a little bit of Mike Posner. I mean, dude, stuff that like no one would ever expect. I just added some more Amy Winehouse to my Apple Music. So I, I don't know. I mean, none of us, none of us really listen to metal. As funny as that is, I mean, of course oh. it's 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 in circulation, but. We all listen to just tons of stuff. It's all about just like what's a good song and what's not. If mm-hmm. if if something we like shows up in the form of uh, of gypsy jazz, then so be it. I, I just I think that that sort of lends itself to another point that I always try to make with my students is you know it's okay to love a certain style of music, but don't assume that you won't fall in love with another style of music. And the mm-hmm. only way you're going to find that out is by being open minded and looking for it. So. One of my favorite things to do with the guys in my band is to share music that we've discovered. And you know, we um, we were driving home from this festival we played in Chicago last weekend. I got a chance to show Misha a bunch of music that he had never heard before, that Spencer had never heard before, and vice versa. It's just like we're playing different music for each other, and it's it's always really cool. And Jake is great for that. Like Jake is really big on Spotify, so he makes these public Spotify playlists for people to hear, and. Most of it is like very, very obscure underground electronic music, things that would not be mainstream, but stuff that like he obsesses over and just loves. So I don't know if I, again, I don't know if I can like, you know, pinpoint anyone in particular than I've already mentioned, but I think the, the, the overall point to make is you need to be open-minded and it's amazing how much music out there that there is that you can fall in love with. And you don't have to be, you don't have to marry any particular style. You can love all of it. Because it's all music. It's like when someone says to me, like, oh, you're a metal drummer. And it's like, no, I, I'm a drummer. I'm not a metal drummer. I'm a drummer. Because you may see me play with periphery, and yeah, that's metal or progressive metal or whatever you want to call it. But when I get home from tour, 
And my buddy calls me who's playing down at the local bar and says, hey, you want to come jam some covers of top 40 songs? You bet your ass. I'm mm. going to go grab a kick, snare drum, and a hi-hat and a cymbal, and I'm going to go play The Cure, or I'm going to go play Sublime, or The Beatles, whatever it is, because I'm a drummer, mm. and I take pride in playing the part for the song rather than showing everybody my chops. You know, that's the key. So I'm going to ask you a question I asked Nolly because he gave a great answer to it when he was on the podcast. Sure. What's something you think that other people think you're crazy for thinking? I think people probably think that it's crazy that I think that you really do can you really can control a positive mindset. Mm. Okay? And, and and I get this all I'm I'm really big on like positivity and motivating people and being an optimist and I always tell people that it's a choice because it really is. You're not just you're not just happy you know, I mean, some people, I guess their disposition is happy, but even then I think it's a choice to be happy, to be positive. Agreed. And I think it's hard for a lot of people because a lot of people out there find themselves in, in tough circumstances in life. And you know, what, what is tough for someone might not be tough for somebody else, but you really can't judge that because it's all relative to someone's situation. But what I truly believe is that even in the worst of situations and the worst of scenarios, that there's always a choice. And I believe this because I've seen people that have come from terrible, terrible situations, people that I'm friends with who have achieved the, the, the pinnacle of success for themselves because they every day chose to be positive and to be optimistic and to make the right choices on what they say versus what they don't say and what they do versus what they don't do. And I think a lot of people like taking the stance of the victim and they like putting the blame elsewhere. But at the end of the day in life, I think – Every small choice and every small decision you make absolutely has an effect on how your life manifests itself and, and how the opportunities you're afforded are, are manifest themselves. You could have every opportunity in the world, but if you don't put yourself out there and you don't try and you don't believe that things can happen and make positive choices every day, then you'll never succeed. And I think that's something that a lot of people who have been conditioned because of their parents or their friends or, you know, different situations, you know, find, find hard to understand that, that you can wake up every day and say to yourself, today I'm going to do these three things because they're going to make me happy versus I'm not going to do these three things that make me happy. And you know what? Here, here's a really simple way to say it. You can look at life and say, oh man, today's such a busy day. And I have to do this interview for this podcast with Jesse Cannon. Oh, man, I have to do it. Versus, man, today is such a busy day and it's so productive. And smack dab in the middle, I get the chance to talk to Jesse about all these cool things that could maybe inform or help other people. And, and I know, like, for me, it's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. Like, when you asked me to do this, I was like, absolutely, not even a question. But for some people that have busy days, they might look at it and say, oh, man, like, I have to do this. I have to do that. No, dude. You get to do that. You have the opportunity to do it and you're afforded that opportunity and you absolutely should be excited about taking that stance. So I think there's just a big difference between I have to and I get to. And I know a lot of mm -hmm. people say that and, and people have probably heard that before. But you ask the question of you know what's something that, that people have a hard time understanding that I believe in or that I do and that's it. I, mm. I make the decision every day to be happy, to be positive, to do things that make me happy. You know what? I'll be real honest and I'll be really, you know, open about this. Like 
I, there was a lot of time in my life, a lot of different points where I was anxious. I was claiming that I was depressed, claiming that I was mm -hmm. sad, blaming other people for things and not understanding my own personal role in, in the things that were happening to me in my life. And the minute that I took control over that, the minute that I understood that and started making different choices and saying things differently and doing things differently, not only did one thing in my life get better, every single thing in my life felt better, got better. And it's not like I'm like, you know, I'm not like this, you know, rich and famous, powerful person. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm living my life the way that I want to live it. And I'm happy with doing that. And as I said before, it's like, if you do what you want to do every single day to make yourself happy and to, and to, to do good for other people, then there's no rush to do the things you want to do because every single day you get to live is a day that you get to do things that you want to do. And if that's, how you want to live your life. And again, there should be no rush because I want to do the things I'm doing now when I'm 90 years old mm -hmm. because I, I want to extend that opportunity to do the things I, I get to do and I like to do as long as I can. So I don't know. Maybe it's hard for people to make that decision. I know it was hard for me at a point. But the minute I took that first step, I made that first decision to do something positive you know, my life was better. And you know what? Here's, here's something that people can do very, very simply every single day as a first step. And this is going to sound funny. And, and again, people probably heard this before, but when you wake up in the morning, make your bed. Hmm. That's one positive thing you can do. You know why it's positive? Because it takes a little bit of, it takes work. It's, it's a challenge. But when you start your day off, by achieving something based off a small challenge like making your bed, it fuels you and sets a positive tone to, to go and strive to achieve more things. So if you can make your bed and feel good about that, then you know you can do the next five things on your list one at a time and feel good about each one. And if you do six things in a day or three things in a day that were a challenge that you've overcome or that you've succeeded in, 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 in completing, then it's amazing how good you'll feel about yourself and you'll want to keep that going and it's infectious. And the next thing you know, you're a month in, every day you've made your bed and every day you've achieved new goals. And it's just it's all part of the process. So hopefully that's not too cheesy. Hopefully that makes sense. But but that's really something that I choose to do every day. It's not like I'm born super happy. As I said, I was probably born prone to being a little bit more negative and, and a little bit more pessimistic. And I've been through different things in my life that have been hard to deal with. But I make the decision every single day as hard as it is to live the way I want to live. And it's it's something that everybody can choose to do. Really, they really can. Well, I, I don't think you're crazy because I've lived that exact thing of I was a really depressed, negative person. And I had to retrain my mind. And because of that, I've never been suicidal or depressed or any of that ever since because I've trained my mind to find what's good and what's the right way of looking at things. Because I think even to go off of what you're saying is a lot of the time it really is is just that you're looking at things the wrong way. It's so much easier to look at things the right way and find benefits and find how to make lemonade out of lemons. And even though lemons in that equation are sometimes thought of as a uh, bad thing, lemons do a lot of great stuff. They do. They really do. Look – you know, you, you find yourself in situations all the time. We played this show. We played a Chicago Open Air Festival this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And um, right as we got on stage to set up, our in-ear module wasn't working. We, we used the X32 mm -hmm. and it was just – it was dead. It wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could have as a band chosen – to freak out and let it ruin our show and let it be this big thing. And I, you know, look, I'm not trying to like say, Oh, we're so, we're so good at dealing with stuff. I don't no. mean it 
But but there was a choice there. We had to play the show. So are we going to go into this show feeling bummed out and nervous and scared? Or are we going to say, you know what? Fuck it. At least I can, as the drummer, get hardwired in to hear the click track so that I can cue my band members. You know what? We're just going to go have a fun show. It's not going to be perfect, but who gives a shit? We get a chance to play our instruments in front of thousands of fucking people. Let's not let this one small snag get in the way of that. And that's just an example right there. A small example of what I'm talking about. You could choose to let that freak you out and weigh you down and ruin the experience. Or you can choose to say, you know what? Fuck it. We'll solve the problem for the next show. But for now, it might not be perfect, but we can get it done. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to have a good time doing it. And we're just going to enjoy ourselves because we get this opportunity. And, you know, this is why we're here. This is why we drove 12 hours to be here. We're not going to let one small thing get in the way. And I think... Everybody can choose to make that decision if they want to, you know, in, in whatever, whatever they're, they're dealing with in life, they can choose to do that. Uh, that's rad. So I want to thank you for doing all this. Now's the time for you to tell everybody what you have coming up and promote a little bit. That's awesome. Well, uh, first off, Jesse, thank you so much yes. for having me on this podcast. It's, it's I an appreciate awesome. it as well. It's a great opportunity to talk to you. And thanks to Finn McKenty, our good buddy from Creative Live for, for putting us together. So he's a great dude. The best. Yeah, I owe, I owe a lot to that guy. He's a he's a brilliant man and gives me a lot of free education on lots of stuff. So that, that uh, makes two of us. Yeah, there, he's a wealth of information, that guy. You know, and if I could if I could talk about anything real quick, it's just, you know, Periphery is, is actually going out on tour uh, in the U.S., uh, throughout the month of August, we're you know every all the all the dates are posted uh, on our website periphery.net. You know if you're listening to this and you haven't seen our band before, I would really encourage you to come out. You know obviously we do our best to put on a great show. On this tour, we're bringing out um, the band Sixth from the UK, who is a band that has never played in the states before. They're I don't know if you're familiar with them, but a lot of our fans are super big fans of, of this band, Sixth. We're super big, big fans of this band. So it's really exciting to be able to bring them over to play for our fan base. We're bringing the band Chan, who are also an amazing instrumental band. They're, they're really cool dudes. They're friends of ours. We're excited to have them out with us. And we're also bringing our good friends in the band Tooth Grinder, who are a band from New Jersey who absolutely crush it. They're great dudes, a great band, you know, to to see live. They're going to be kicking off the show every night. And if, if they don't fire you up, I don't know who will. <laughs> but another great thing about our, our shows and, and, and that I want to just say real quick is like, if you've never seen us before, if you've never had a chance to check out our music, you know, come to the show because we really do make a point to make ourselves available. If you mm. want to talk, you want to meet us, you want to hang out, we're around, you know, we'll, we're around during the show, after the show, before the show, all the bands typically are. So if you're curious about what we're like, if you want to get to know us, if you want to say hi or whatever, come see us because that's the opportunity. We're in your town. We're in your venue. Come say hi. We're, we're definitely approachable people. And if you don't get to a show and you don't reach us that way, we're all very active on our social media. We all personally handle our own pages. No one else does. So, you know, if you have questions for us, if you want to reach out to any of us, please don't hesitate. We're always available to take questions and talk to people and provide whatever input we can. And a lot of our fans already do this and we're really appreciative of that. So, you know, we're, we're totally open to that kind of stuff. So yeah, so we're on tour in August. It's going to be a month long run. We'll be in a whole bunch of great places and we're really excited. So if you haven't seen us before, or if you have, and you want to see us again, and you're wondering when we're going on tour, now you know. So check out the dates at periphery.net and, and that's what's up. Hopefully we'll see you there. If you 
enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 